Let's pray. Father, thank you for this night. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your presence. And I just pray that you would speak to us now, that you would do the work that you desire to do. Father, I pray that you would bless every woman who came out tonight. Lord, that you give us our portion. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. So has anyone read part two yet? You weren't supposed to. Oh, wow. Awesome. You guys are great. Head of the game. I was always a procrastinator. So I'm going to be talking about mainly the last chapter on apathy from that section. But in this section, Dr. Jeremiah covers several cultural signs of the end times describing from scripture, which I love, he uses so much scripture, what the cultural climate will look like in the last days before Jesus returns. And some of those things he talks about are an increase in materialism, in immorality, in persecution, in spiritual warfare, and lastly, a spiritual apathy specifically in the church, in the bride of Christ. How tragic, right? Um So I don't want to give too much away since you guys will be reading that or already have read that for a lot of you. Um, But first I want to lay out what is apathy. I looked up Webster's Dictionary on um, apathy and it defines it as a lack of feeling or emotion, a lack of interest or concern. Synonyms are affectlessness, emotionlessness, and numbness. Antonyms are emotion, feeling, and sensibility. And just that alone hit me. If we can apply that in a spiritual sense, are we effectless, emotionless, and numb spiritually? Because he talks about in the book that that's something that's going to happen in the last days in the church. And we need to be guarding our hearts against that. Um, So let's examine our hearts as we move forward. Are we emotionless and numb specifically towards the return of Christ do we care do we think about his return in our daily lives or are we consumed with things that distract us Um, are we spiritually asleep let's be honest and think through that I want to look at a few things that may cause spiritual apathy in our lives First, the broadest category is sin. Obviously, we know sin separates us from God, right? That's what happened in the garden. Sin separated Adam and Eve from the fellowship that they had with God. And that's why Jesus came to die for our sins, to restore that fellowship. But sin has a way of dulling our senses. It hardens our hearts towards the Lord and... um, You know, I think that's just obviously the broadest category we can tend to when we allow sin in our lives, push away the Holy Spirit's still small voice. You know, he's so gentle and he's so kind. Um, So we need our hearts to be tender towards his voice. Um, And then kind of under that category, one of the biggest things I think is that's probably applicable to us is materialism and comfort. That can lead to apathy in our lives, especially in America. You know, we have so much. We're so blessed. Um, If you guys have your Bibles, 
Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 10. I know probably not where you would be expecting me to go, but... um, So here, Moses, before he dies, is reminding the children of Israel all that the Lord did for them and his law that he gave to them before they enter into the promised land, and he's giving them a warning. So in Deuteronomy chapter 6, and then I'm going to read a little bit from chapter 8 too. Chapter 6, verse 10 through 12 says, So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. When you have eaten and are full, then beware, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. So this warning that... These good things, these blessings in life can cause us to forget the Lord. And then in chapter 8, starting in verse 6, he says again, Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity and will lack nothing. It sounds a lot like America. In which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God, not forget him, for the good land which he has given you. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply, and your silver and your gold are multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied. When your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led you through that great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do you good in the end. Then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. You know, I've heard people say before, even some of the poorest people in America are still better off than most of the people in the world, in third world countries. We really have so much here. And just this warning that Moses is giving them is so applicable to our lives still today, that the material things in life, the comforts in this life, have this way of choking out 
the Lord in our hearts and in our lives. They can creep in and cause us to forget the Lord. We get become consumed with those things. We grow to love the gifts more than we do the giver. We love the things that we receive more than the nail-pierced hands of the Savior who gives them to us. Um, you know, I think of little kids. On that. I've got two kids, six-year-old and an almost three-year-old. And on Christmas or their birthdays, they get presents, and they could care less about the person who's giving it to them, right? You're always having to say, go say thank you to your cousin. Go say thank you to grandma and grandpa, you know, because... They see this gift, and they can't see the giver because all they see is the gift. But let's not let our hearts be like that. Let's not, you know, we, we are children, so we do need to be reminded to have a thankful heart towards our Father. But, you know, he gives us good gifts. He does. He delights to do that. But we shouldn't allow those things to consume our hearts and to dull our hearts towards him. And also, you know, thinking we should live our lives with open hands with those things that he gives us um, because he gives and he takes away, right? Um, I was challenged myself, you know, what things are we holding on to tonight? Is it our husbands or our children or our jobs, our homes, retirement plan, vacations? You know, like 2020 shook that up. <laughs> I think we can all... Um, agree on that. A lot of things were shaken, which can be good and healthy. Um, but yeah, we should walk through life with open hands because anything that's given to us is his anyway and should be given back to him. Um, you know, uh, I was thinking also in this way of Job because he was a man of great wealth with many children and in one day he lost everything. But his response blows me away. He says in Job 1, 21 to 22, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. So he didn't allow those things to become sin in his life once they're taken away. And I think that's a good measure, too. You know, if the Lord were to take one of those things away from us tonight, how would we respond? Would we submit to him and still bow our knee to him? Um, I would hope that I could say yes to that. You know, uh, so let's make sure these things are not the things that we're fighting for the most. We don't want to allow material things to be the things that we're pouring all of our energy into all of our heart into that those are not the things we treasure the most what are the things we treasure the most in life let it be christ let it be jesus because he's the only thing that can't be taken away from us we've seen a lot of things can easily be taken away very quickly but he will never be taken away from us and i want to i want to focus on that idea of our treasure you know, Jesus says in Matthew 9, um, sorry, Matthew 6, you can turn there with me if you want. Verse 19, Matthew 6, 19. 
Okay. Matthew 6, 19 to 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Um, I was probably a couple of months ago in my living room folding a mountain of laundry um, and just looking for something to watch. And I've been watching these cartoons on Amazon with my daughter. They're awesome. They're called Torchlighters. And they're about like a half hour long, and they show different stories of different Christian heroes, Harriet Tubman, um, Eric Little, George Mueller, all different kind, but they're they're great. But they're they're a little intense. I think they recommend them for seven years old and older. So my daughter's a little sensitive, so I'll watch them first to see if I think she'll do okay with them. And I was watching one that night on George Mueller and was just blown away, you know, to be reminded. How many of you know the story of George Mueller? You're familiar with him. So he... He lived in England in like the 1800s, was this incredible believer who never asked for a cent, but was able to supply five different orphanages and take care of over 10,000 orphans in his life. And he funded missionaries around the world, like everything that came in financially, he just gave back. Um, And... I, w- I just so respected that. But anyway, I'm watching this cartoon about him. And it ends, and I'm looking for something else to watch while I'm conquering my laundry mountain. And I f- find this movie on Judy Garland's life and think, oh, that'll be interesting. I'll check that out. So I start watching it, expecting it to be more about her younger life, and it ends up being more about her her older years, and it was heartbreaking. Her life just went to ruin, and she was addicted to drugs and ended up having to leave her kids to try and make money overseas in England. Um, And I I didn't even end up finishing the movie, but I went to bed with this stark contrast in my mind of George Mueller, this man who had nothing, but he had everything. Everything and invested his treasure in heaven. And Judy Garland, who had literally everything, fame and fortune, and she had nothing. She was miserable at the end of her life. You know, and that, just what a picture, you know, of, of our hearts. You know, if we set our hearts on the treasures of this world, we're going to end up in ruin. We're going to be miserable. But if we put our heart and our treasure in Christ and in heaven, we're going to be satisfied. Um, And thinking, you know, Jesus said it the best, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Just yesterday, uh, I was reading, and I have been reading through the checkbook of faith. Have any of you ever read that by Charles Spurgeon? It is an awesome, awesome devotion. But I was reading yesterday's and was blown away because it was just goes right along with this. So he says, March 8th, the verse is, Blessed shall be thy basket and thy store. About halfway through, 
He says, if we live from hand to mouth, getting each day's supply in the day, we are as well off as Israel. For when the Lord entertained his favored people, he only gave them a day's manna at a time. What more did they need? What more do we need? But if we have a store, how much we need the Lord to bless it. For there is the care of getting, the care of keeping, the care of managing, the care of using. And unless the Lord bless it, these cares will eat into our hearts till our goods become our gods and our cares prove cankers. O Lord, bless our substance. Enable us to use it for thy glory. Help us to keep worldly things in their proper places. And never may our savings endanger the saving of our souls. So this leads me to another cause of spiritual apathy. You know, just thinking about this treasuring. What do we treasure? Where is our heart? Um, and I think for a lot of us who are believers, it is just simply having forgotten the love of Christ. You know, do we, do we know that he loves us? Do we care to know? Um, have we ever really experienced his love or do we just have a head knowledge? Do we spend time with him? Cause you'll never know that someone loves you unless you spend time with him. Um, especially in these days, it is so important that we are with the Lord, that we're in the word, that we're in prayer, because we're told that these things are going to creep in in the last days. And ladies, we're there. We need to guard ourselves against it. How do we guard ourselves if we're not in the word and if we're not in prayer? The Lord has called us to, to do that as his bride, as his church. But our motivation should be out of love for him. You know, if our motivation is to please some sort of distant God, it's never going to work. We need to understand his love for us. Because we'll never live for someone who we don't love. And we will never love Jesus if we don't understand his love for us. And his love for us was forever proved on his de- in his death on the cross. Romans 5, 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then 1 John 4, 9 through 10 says, In this, the love of God was manifested, or the love of God was made known towards us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Christ died for you because of his great love for you and for me. It wasn't a chore. It wasn't a duty. It was a love that we can't comprehend, that we can't fathom. If we're ever insecure or unsure that God loves us, all we have to do is look at his sacrifice. It's not, you know, sometimes we have this skewed view of love 
because we live in a fallen world. And maybe some of you have never experienced the type of love that Christ has to offer. Maybe you're in an abusive marriage or you've been abused in your life or you just have been neglected. I don't know. But I believe the Lord wants to tell you tonight that he loves you perfectly with a sacrificial love. And that's something that goes beyond any love you'll ever find in this world. He offers that to everyone in this room. So we can be secure in his love for us because he proved that forever on the cross. It's a fact. It's not a feeling. His proof of his love is not in the material things he can give us. We know that, right? He doesn't love us more because we have a new car or a new house or we have lots of children He loves us because he loves us, because we're his children, because we're his blood-bought bride. Um, The proof of his love is in his blood poured out for our sins. I can't stress that enough to you guys tonight. He loves you. There is no greater love than the sacrificial love of Christ. And his love is a free gift. It's extended again to everyone in this room. And I encourage you, if none of you have received that, even if you're a believer, you feel like you've never understood that. Like, take hold of that tonight. Accept that if you never have for the first time. Because all we have to do is reach out and accept it like that child receiving a gift. You know, it's it's simple. It's not complicated. We complicate things. But God tells us that we're supposed to be like children receiving the gospel, receiving the kingdom. So where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This time, instead of considering our hearts, let's take the focus off of our hearts and let's put it on Christ. Where is his treasure? What is his treasure? Where is his heart? Scripture tells us that exact answer. Um, Track with me for a second. I'm sure most of you are familiar with the story of Ruth, right? Um, The book of Ruth. If you're not, Ruth um, leaves her country with her mother-in-law, Naomi, because her husband, brother-in-law, father-in-law passed away. So her mother-in-law, Naomi, was from Israel. They go back to Israel And Ruth ends up marrying a man from Israel named Boaz. And in the story, in the story, Ruth is a picture of the church, the bride of Christ, and Boaz is a picture of Christ. So keep that in mind. We're going to go back to Jesus' treasure. Turn with me to Matthew 13, 44. Jesus tells this parable. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. 
and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Jesus tells us in verse 38, just before this, that the field is the world. Okay, so you have this field. In the field, there is a treasure. And a man, a man finds that treasure, um, and he goes for joy over it, sells all that he has, and buys the field. He doesn't buy the treasure, he buys the field. You might wonder why. Um, in David Guzik's commentary on Matthew 13, he quotes a commentator named Carson, and he says, under rabbinic law, if a workman came on a treasure in a field and lifted it out, it would belong to his master, the field's owner. But here, the man is careful not to lift the treasure out till he has bought the field. So, there's a reason why the Lord's putting this before us. Um, we, we see the field as a picture of the world ruled by Satan before Jesus died to purchase us. So in Acts 20, 28, it tells us that Jesus purchased the church, his bride, with his blood. And Jesus gave everything to purchase the world that he might obtain us the treasure we are his treasure. Just like Boaz bought the field in order that he might obtain the bride, Ruth. And we are the bride of Christ. Um, Chuck, Smith, Chuck Smith puts it so well in his series on Blue Letter Bible. In this, um, he speaks of Ruth's end of this parable. He says, because of his love for Ruth, Boaz bought the field in order that he might obtain the bride. His primary interest was not the field at all. He was a very mighty man of wealth. He didn't need any more fields, just like Jesus didn't need the world. But he bought the field in order to obtain the bride. In that, he becomes a very beautiful picture of Jesus Christ, who bought the world in order to take his treasure. So Jesus, seeing the treasure, his church, his bride, within the world, bought the whole world in order to take his bride out of it. That blew my mind. That, that's his love. That's his treasure. That's where his heart is, us. We are his treasure. You might not look at yourself and think that you're something to be treasured. Maybe no one has ever treasured you before. But the only person whose love matters in this world, Jesus Christ, treasures you. And you, again, if you have not received that love from him, receive it tonight. His forgiveness, he'll cleanse you. He'll wash you. He'll make you new, clean, like a bride adorned for her wedding. So he bought the whole world in order to take his bride out of it. And ladies, he's coming to take us out of this world again soon. And we need to be ready. Amen? We need to be ready. Let's not waste our time on things that don't matter. 
because he loves us. Why do we get so caught up? Why do we fight with one another over things that don't matter? Who cares about the news? Who cares about Facebook? Who cares about social media? Turn it off. Turn it off and open your Bibles. Hear what the Lord has to say to you because that's all that matters. That's all that matters. There's a lost world around us that's dying without him. And listen, I'm speaking to myself too. I have neighbors that I love that don't know the Lord, people in my life that I'm, I'm trying to be a witness to and praying for more opportunities to share with them because we need an urgency. We know this love. We know that we're treasured and we need to reach out to the people around us that they can know that too. We can't just live our lives in this comfort and materialism because Satan's trying to weave this numbness around our hearts. And the Lord tells us in his word that we need to have our hearts circumcised. We need to have them softened. We need our hearts to be right with him. We need to repent of our sins. You know, return to your first love. Do the first works. And you guys, you you know in your hearts what the Lord's putting his finger on right now, tonight. Please don't put those things off. Please don't put those things off. Let him do the work that he wants to do in your heart. Like Heidi said earlier, we are called to be believers, ambassadors. We call ourselves followers of Christ. What do our lives show? Do we look like Christ? Do we care to look like Christ? If we don't care, that's even scarier. We should pray about that too. Um, So he's coming. He's coming for us, and we need to be ready. We need to turn our hearts back to him because his heart has never turned away from us. It's always been there waiting for us. He's there every day waiting for us. We just have to choose to go to him. Because when we get to heaven, when we stand before him, all that's going to matter is what we did for him. And again, we'll never live for him unless we know his love for us. That has to be the motivation. That's why the Israelites struggled and struggled and struggled and fell into sin because Christ hadn't come yet. They just had the law. They didn't have the sacrificial love of Christ. Let's allow him to purify our hearts of all the sin and the distractions that cause us to become spiritually apathetic. Whatever those things may be, the sin in our heart, the materialism, the comforts, things that may be good but become distractions that choke the Lord out of our lives. Because the wedding day is closer than it's ever been. And we should be eagerly awaiting that day. You know, I was thinking, a bride doesn't wait for her wedding day in apathy. Numb and indifferent. <laughs> it's ridiculous. She can't, all she can think of is that day. She's consumed with it. Her preparations, her get your eyebrows done and your hair done and 
decorations. And by the time that day comes, you don't even care about any of that stuff anymore. You just care about the groom. And maybe that's what the Lord is doing in the world around us, just causing us to forget about all those things that don't matter and fix our eyes on him. You know, we need that love. We need to be consumed with that day to see him. But also, like Heidi said, we need to be doing the work that he's called us to do. We need to be making disciples. We need to be sharing the gospel. And look, I am no evangelist. (laughs) I am the person who is, after I have a conversation with someone, I'm kicking myself because I wish I would have said all these different things. But, you know, I've been praying more this year that the Lord would help me, and he has. He's helping me to have more boldness. And really, the more we share with people, the more we will become more comfortable and more bold. So we need to be praying for that. We need to have that expectancy in our hearts, longing for that day. And I really do believe the Lord wants to purify his church. We're his church. We're his bride. A bride is in white. She's pure and spotless on her wedding day. And the Lord wants that for us. He wants to purify us for that day. He doesn't want us to be distracted, giving our hearts to everything other than him that will never satisfy us. He wants our gaze to be fixed on him, just like the bride going down the aisle on her wedding day. She doesn't look at anything about her groom. Can we have that fixed gaze on Jesus? Because, listen, when you do, the anxieties will fall away. And the fears will fall away. When, you know, he's promised us that, that his peace that passes all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus when we're giving those things to him or with him, we're pouring our hearts out to him. So he wants us to be fixed on him. He wants to purify us for the wedding day. Um, I want to read Titus 2, if you guys can turn there with me. And this was um, a verse actually from our Bible study in the fall, but I thought it was so perfect for this. Titus 2, 11 through 14 says this, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, that's us, his bride, zealous for good works, So that's the Lord's heart, ladies. We are his treasure. And as it says here, we're not to be 
We are, we're to be denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. And the thing that should do that work in our hearts is an understanding of the love of Christ. You know, we, we can't, there's no righteousness in ourselves. We can't live good, righteous lives without Christ. It's once we accept his love and his forgiveness, his Holy Spirit is what cleanses us and changes your desires. You know, he will purify you. He'll make you want to, he'll make you want to let that work, you know, be done in your heart. Sometimes we kind of wince, you know, because we don't, we know if we ask the Lord to purify us, he's going to do it. You know, but when you love him, you want that. You want him to remove the things in your heart and in your life that don't please him. And sometimes that can be uncomfortable. Sometimes that can be a hard process, but it's never something you're regretting. You know, it's never something you don't end up purified by the Lord with regrets. Never. You end up satisfied by him. So, you know, I want to tonight, why don't, why don't we bow our heads together? And I just want to ask, if there's anyone here tonight that has never received that love of Christ, maybe you've known about him your whole life, You've grown up in the church, but you know that you don't have a relationship with him and you want to receive his love and his forgiveness tonight. Would you just raise your hand? Nobody's going to look around. Just like that child, reach out. The gift will be yours. Anybody. For believers, if you know there's something in your heart that you need to allow the Lord to cut some things away, and you want you want to surrender to Him tonight, you want to repent, you want your heart to be wholly His. Would you raise your hand tonight? Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, I pray for my sisters here that have raised their hands. And for the ones that maybe did not, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would fill them and satisfy them. Lord, that you give them the courage to surrender these things to you, to lay them down at your feet. Father, that you would... Make us pure and ready for that day when you return for us, Lord, that you would remove the distractions in our lives, the things that pull our hearts away from you. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your great love for us that purifies us. And I pray that you would set us on fire for you, Lord, that we would go 
an army of women proclaiming the gospel to a lost world around us. Give us boldness. Give us courage. And do the work that you desire to do in and through us. Lord, we thank you. We pray in your name. Amen.